I'm Brent Leary. I'm Paul Greenberg. <laughs> that sounded so terrible. You know yeah, why? Was... I was shocked. I did one of these. I looked over and I saw it and I and then I saw your hand. I was and I was just gonna try to play it off like uh, and I just I don't know. Anyway, well, let me do this again. Take two. Wait, what does that <laughs> making do? of CRM players? <laughs> I'm Brent Leary. <laughs> I'm Paul Greenberg. And come on, if you don't know what's the CRM players by now, what good are you? <laughs> Why are you even listening? Go away. I don't know. <laughs> We're the yeah, only well, show on the only show in the world that's trying to discourage people from coming here. Yeah, don't watch us. Jeff, please. do us a favor. <laughs> Go do something else, please. Uh, but if you insist on staking around, we are the CRM players. It's Thursday uh, afternoon. It's pretty nice in Atlanta right now. Yeah, here too. Here too. It's a little hot, but, uh, you know, summer. Uh, you know, I feel like we're tap dancing because we're waiting on uh, some something to happen so that we can really, you know, really start the show the way it has been starting for the last several months. But something's something's a missing right here. Something's awry. Or it's a bourbon. Or it's a Sven. I don't know. We don't we don't see Sven. I hope everything's all right. Jeez. Sven, we weren't talking about you when we said go away. Yeah. <laughs> why don't you stay come back where are you well yeah well in the meantime uh, if anybody knows where spin esser is uh let us know tell him that he's late he's supposed to be here we are counting he's supposed to help. that's right anyway well, well we'll go on we'll soldier on because we do have a really cool show ahead yeah we that, that we do although we, you know we'll, we can do what we normally do is never tell anyone who the guest is and if they don't know by now they won't know till 3 15 yeah, you can guess who the guest is until three fifteen. Yeah, yeah but you don't. You you will not win anything because all you had to do is look, and you would have seen it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's like the worst kept secret, really. Uh, who's coming up on the show? Anyway, I want to ask you about something, and then I do want to kind of touch on some of the tidbits I looked through and found interesting in the. Uh, the transcript from Salesforce's earning report, which, by the way, they, they blew it out again. Well, we can talk about, uh-oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I see a sighting. Oh, uh, What the hell? Who died? Bonus dies. That means that, people are just getting paid their base salary from here on. <laughs> uh, bonus dies. So what is bonus? That must be some, it's, it's sort of derivative of Spanish. So maybe it's Portuguese. You know, it's not oh, really, by the way, I'm not trying to insult people from Portugal by calling you a derivative of Spanish. I, I know you're not. Okay. You're a separate language, but there's relationships, yes. there's romance language, Latin root kind of things. Bonus. Good D. day in Latin. Okay. Latin. Oh, it's Latin. See that I'm saying Latin roots and then turns out it is actually Latin. Wow. Sven, you're getting um, intellectual, romantic, and um, ancient. All that. Yeah, ancient. <laughs> he says that their uh, LinkedIn isn't working. All right, LinkedIn, get your act together because you know we need you to work. Although okay. it says it's oh, he's online. on Twitter. Yeah, he's coming yeah, in from Twitter. That's exactly. So he he had to go to a different channel. Uh oh. We appreciate the effort, man. That means it's possible we're not broadcasting to LinkedIn. It's possible. I haven't seen anything. I didn't get a notification. Oh yeah, I did get a notification saying Brent Leary is live. So, okay, I don't well, know. Hopefully, we'll we'll, find we'll, out. we'll see. Somebody, if you're watching us on LinkedIn, send a comment in, let us know. Or if you're not, do like Spin and jump to another channel and say, "Hey, LinkedIn is still not working." LinkedIn Either one says works. waiting to start with a picture. What picture? I'm more interested. Probably what like picture is showing? I th- <laughs> Probably the two of us that we show at the end. Is it the one that we end the show yeah. with? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh, maybe maybe LinkedIn is having issues. It's too bad. I, I see uh, YouTube is saying we're live. And uh, I did get a notification, but hopefully it'll catch up. Hopefully it'll open up because we can't slow down for LinkedIn. We got to keep No, going. Keep us posted, Sven. Yes, please, Sven. Uh, that's another task for you. <laughs> beyond opening the show with a, a language of your choice greeting and things like that. All right. 
I want to ask you about something that came up on the uh, happier hour yesterday. Can okay. you explain to the people what a bang cookie is? <laughs> um, okay, so there's actually a, I'll, I'll give it more significance than it truly deserves. Um, <laughs> ultimately, a bang cookie is a big, thick cookie made out of organic ingredients with organic cane sugar and organic chocolate and organic other stuff. Oh, LinkedIn's All up. Right. Thanks, Dan. Uh, thank you, Dan. Uh, now, what made it interesting was I went and bought 12 of them. Ultimately, for varying reasons, Esteban, Esteban Kolsky, who many of you know, and we all definitely know, was actually coming here for a visit. And uh, I bought a bunch of these cookies so that we could sit there and munch on them while we were sitting and yakking. But as it turns out, I, it was because on my end, I, we had to delay it for a few weeks. So basically, I had a lot of these bang cookies. Now, the thing, the reason it was interesting was the, where I found them. I actually bought them, in effect, off of TikTok, right? And I was watching TikTok videos, and as I am doing often, and I ran across an ad for bang cookies, and boy, they look good. They were big and they were these chewy types of things. And they had this kind of melty, chocolatey thing going on. And they made it as, you know, as uh, gooey as you can make a cookie without like literally like drenching you in them uh, in the ad. So I said, you know what? They look amazing. I'll go order some. Interestingly enough, however, you can tell a company that is, let's say, on the one hand, gearing to an audience that is clearly not me, uh, or let's say not an age at least, is much younger, and two is adolescent in their worldview, and three is not totally well-versed in marketing yet. As a result of ordering them, I got a 10% discount. Mm. I started getting text messages every, oh, I don't know, Five seconds. That's what it felt like anyway. Um, I get number of text messages every day. Why don't you order more cookies? I hadn't even gotten them yet. I actually had, this was an actual two-message sequence at one point. This is how they work. We shipped your cookies. That was uh, Tuesday. Monday. Tuesday. Wow, you probably loved your cookies. They were delicious, weren't they? Here's another 10% off on your next order. This is literally the next day, and it was clearly at best two-day mm. delivery <laughs> they can't even do the math right so and and the whole thing of course was just think of when you're 13 and you hear the word bang what you would think of okay that's literally their marketing and advertising so well there's you know a big saying? bang right uh, well theory. wasn't that <laughs> really was not that right so i mean it's what you wanted when you were 13 to do right so uh Mm. Right, so leave that one alone. <laughs> is what it is, right? Hormones are hormones, <laughs> right? So, mm. but that's their advertising, and it really mm. doesn't work unless you're 13. Then it may work, but I'm not, <laughs> right? So, I would put put it to you this way. Now that said, I had my first cookie last night. It was a s'mores one, and honestly, I was a little disappointed. It was good, but not great. So I will keep you guys all posted on the next cookie and let you know how good it is later. But there's a lot of elements that went into that thing, but that's what a bang cookie is. Should mm. you buy it now? Let me eat a couple more and I'll let you know. Yeah, I'm going to uh, reserve my ju judgment and actually depend on your judgment on that. You know, Fair you, enough. You can check that I'm out. I'm willing to make but, those judgments. I'm tough. You know, that... that re <laughs> that that repetitive, you know, text that it just reminds me of this conversation I had with the cold one, the bold one, John Coderice Lawson um, around the old one. Yeah, one percent conversion. So you know, they, you, you do this what I call this ridiculous marketing that pisses off ninety nine percent of the people, and maybe converts one percent of the people. And marketers seem to be like cool with that. I'm going to play this clip. Um, because it caused another conversation with our buddy Anand Taker, who kind of 
explained it a little bit more, but here's my first reaction to that kind of marketing that they did with you. Let's see, here we are. Are most of these companies, they're just, they're just basically still running off of the old, like the foundational aspects of selling on the web, e-commerce cookies and using ridiculous stuff like retargeting and, you know, just basically stalking you wherever you go on the web just because you just so happen to go to this website. Now, the next 10 websites you go to, do you really need to get an ad from the first one? That's what it works. all there's all. It works. Does it work? Look, do you know if it works? Do you really know? If it doesn't work, because a lot of people will shop online at work, you know, or during the day and totally forget that they put stuff in the cart and they need to be reminded. So let's do it. But how do we Not know if it all. really works? What if you just, if this is the only thing we you've know done it works you, because you, we, we know it works. Did, compared people, to what? But I'm saying we know it works because people put money in it. If it, they, compared if it didn't to work, what though? What, if, what do you mean compared to really, what? That was the best tried, thing out. Have they the tried anything out. else? What else are you going to try gonna, right now? Well, they're going to have they're going to have to figure out something because these cookies are going away in a couple of years. All right, man. There's a well, lot of tying the cookies and no, uh, funny repetitive, ridiculous marketing tactics. I, that sounded like our show last week. <laughs> oh, what it, that? It, it, sure. it actually it 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 was. It it was based on our show last week. It carried over to watching Amazon last week. Then it carried over yesterday with Anand, and then it circled back around here because well, bang cookies you know, just made me remember that thing. It makes sense, though. I mean, you know, the reality is, like everything else that we have to think through nowadays, we have to rethink through how marketing's done. You know, it's, I'll tell you something related to that. Like several years ago. I was at a Thunderhead advisory session and we were just chatting and Phil Venville, who's the resident intellect, and he's brilliant, brilliant guy. I mean, just brilliant. He's actually the guy who built their engaged framework and he's got something coming, which is sort of mind blowing, which you'll see in a, in a few months, a couple of months, I think. Um, he was saying, look, we got to move marketers away from campaigns to conversations. He said, that's kind of where the future is. And at the time, this is like seven, six, seven years ago right? Marketers weren't ready for that, but then they weren't. I mean, they really weren't. And, you know, uh, you, you can't just say marketer, change everything you've ever done. <laughs> and we don't care what it is. You freak you out, just change it. It's not going to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but if you actually follow that idea and you kind of evolve yourself to now and look at it, they're getting ready for it now. They're all of a sudden realizing that marketing is no longer a matter of throw out these, these things, these, these campaigns that hit a particular, you know, segment of, of the world, but that these, you have to have start having conversations or at least what feel to be conversations with individuals. And that's not at, but at scale. Right. So I think, you know, it means rethinking how marketing is done. And and some of these things like what bank cookies does with texting, that's kind of their way of doing it. It's just adolescent. It's an adolescent way of doing it. But I get, you know, oddly, I get where they're coming from and I don't totally hold it against them. Even though I think it's terrible, um, but I don't hold it against them because look, think about where I, I found them. TikTok, right? And they're following through with something that's been around a lot longer, texting and messaging uh, and, you know, SMS. And they're doing what you do to have something of a conversation. But it's not a real conversation. It's a bot releasing a pill, basically, every few hours that blooms into, uh, you know, opens into 10% uh, off. Right. So uh, but but it's it's an attempt to converse. And I, I get it. I get it. I, I give them the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I'm assuming they're at least thinking somewhat like that. And it's why things like texting as marketing are is not dead and is never going to be dead, regardless of all right. the pundits of social audio. Right. So, um, so, <laughs> uh, you know, the thing is that, that from that standpoint, this, this discussion, you know, really is important now and especially now i mean it's not what we're going to talk about today but 
uh, right. but nonetheless, it's important. And then thus we will not talk about it. Yeah. It, it could be very important when cookies go away. Anyway, a few minutes before uh, we get to our guests, I wanted to touch on just briefly uh, Salesforce announced their earnings yesterday. They were killer. I mean, shocker. Just the, the top top line thing is they're big, but I've pulled out a couple of nuggets I thought would be interesting to, okay. to, to touch on. So Indeed. apparently this last quarter, uh was the first time they had a six billion dollar quarter and they're on i think they're on target for like a run rate for the for a 12 month period of like 26 billion or thereabouts yeah and in the call i think it was mark said that they're on track to, to be a 50 billion revenue by i think it's 2025 or 2026 fiscal year one of those two 2031. <laughs> no, no, it's 2025. No, I was kidding. Something like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and then they broke it down. Sales cloud, 1.5 for the quarter. So that's a $6 billion segment uh, for 12 months. They say the service cloud is a $6 billion business. Although wait, they didn't wait, say wait, how wait, much. wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Is that, so that's $6 billion annual. And no. That's. Oh, oh, Quarterly? service cloud. No. Is, uh, yeah, yeah. Annual. Quarter, yeah. All right. Sales cloud is one. That's one point five billion for this last quarter. So All right. that's six billion. Service cloud six billion, mm -hmm. and then marketing and commerce cloud or whatever. Um, they, well, notice how they didn't they didn't yeah. give you any hard numbers well, on that. And you you kind of you gotta. That's the one question mark. It's like we know that by far was the the smallest cloud in terms of revenue so, well i know i know this much when our buddy bob stutz went there they were way under a billion dollars and when he left they were well over a billion dollars marketing cloud not commerce cloud marketing cloud oh wait a minute uh, we we got people surprised jeff jeff wisher he started getting a little uh antsy cookies are going away not those kind of cookies jeff right <laughs> no, the no, bang no. cookies are here to stay <laughs> yes they are especially uh, if there's results of their adolescent humor no quiz today Sven <laughs> Jesus Christ man this is difficult crowd this is a rough yeah, crowd know. right? Yeah. are we replacing cookies with blueberry I don't think so Jeff Just blueberry beagles well Look them either <laughs> blueberry bagels for managing uh, login oh my goodness we're we're wow we're we better left. move on veering <laughs> right yeah we got all right let me go here. through <laughs> let's go, go through here all right a couple other things tableau nine and nine of the ten biggest deals of the quarter mule soft same eight so those acquisitions are paying off you gotta you gotta give them credit for that one uh public sector four of the top ten deals of the quarter were public sectors That's and yeah seven figure deals on average including more than four and a half clouds so these these things are, are are really it's not just one thing they're grabbing a whole bunch of people uh, with multiple clouds there and number of seven figure deals including five or more clouds grew by 29 those are i guess that explains why they had the quarter that they had right I mean, when you think about it and well then, i mean th there's there's conversation to be had about every single thing here but there's one that i'm fascinated by the fact that public sector is for the top 10 and I'm not totally surprised, but I'm fascinated. Um, keep in mind, you know, I've I've been dealing with public sector myself directly for 20 plus years. And I used to do public sector RFPs and all the stuff that you do. Right? Uh, deal with government. The reality is once you've got a foothold in the public sector, it's hard to break that foothold, right? It's hard to break the... The chain so like for example oracles had a long-standing foothold in public sector a really solid one that not going to ever go away but it's really hard to like crack in at a large scale and just really hard now yeah on the one hand that look you got you got um kevin pashik and casey coleman kind of 
do handling the you know jointly handling the day-to-day uh at public sector so it's no surprise that they're doing well but at the same time i remember when salesforce and mark actually announced that and this is 10 years ago probably we're going to have a thousand people doing public sector at the end of the year which of course they weren't and i'm sort of publicly <laughs> said that um and they didn't uh but they have steadily been getting into the pores and now have become a staple in place after place, you know, agency after agency. And that is hard. So this is like a really, the other side though, is it's insanely lucrative and weirdly mm-hmm. enough, the government actually pays on time. Right. So um, it's a really good place to be. And I, I think this is really, really significant. And, you yeah. know, kudos to them to getting there that, you know, at that level, because it's just so it's, hard not- to unseat the incumbents there. It's just not getting there. They're getting fully entrenched. Five yeah. or more clouds. That's uh, <laughs> that's getting in there. Yeah. Real quick. One of the things I thought was interesting. We're going to hear about this Slack first customer 360. That's like the the phrase that came through loud and clear uh, just by reading the transcripts. You're going to hear a lot about that phrase, and especially at Dreamforce next month. Uh, IBM was one of the examples. Of, you know how many uh, employees IBM still has, by the way? No. I believe it's 380,000 employees still. <laughs> wow. Remember That's when they cool. were all this talk about they were really, you know, cutting down and yeah, 380,000. And yeah, then they said it's like 50,000. It. <laughs> yeah, they dropped, dropped well, uh, 380,000. Yeah. And then there's like they have 50,000 partners and apparently they're all in on using uh, you know, Slack and Salesforce 360. And so you're going to they're going to be featured. But this term I found when they uh, you start hearing these terms repeated over you, this is going to be their big term for foreseeable future. Slack um, I will tell you, honestly, I am really curious to see what I've never loved Slack, particularly never been a big fan of it, but you know, in Salesforce's hands, to me, it's just a technology weapon that they can then do something with and make into something, you know, meaning they have the tool, they have the tools to make this into something really valuable to me, which is a sort of half, half well done developers community platform network. Right. Right. And that was it. It, I didn't love it, but I will tell you, I can just see in their hands. It'll be interesting to see what they do. Yeah. Really big, Deal too, and yeah. and you know, in combination with, of course, Salesforce Plus, meaning all of a sudden you're talking about communities, you're talking about networks, right? Which means you're really talking about ecosystems, you're talking about platforms. In other words, they're more, they're all in on what you need to succeed wildly, and they're sort of proving that that's how you do it. Right, but I put Salesforce Plus on the slide because it wasn't mentioned at all. In the wow, which was really interesting. You know, it was definitely focused on Slack. I mean. Let me just quickly. So Tableau, MuleSoft, uh, then you got Slack. They didn't mention Salesforce Plus, but that wasn't an acquisition. And then the other no. thing I'm going to slip to because I want to get to our guest. Our industry cloud saw 58%. So industry cloud velocity. Yeah. So all these acquisitions are kicking in big time for these guys. You know how sometimes a company buys these big things and then you never hear from them again that's yeah. not the case here these guys no. they're they're kind of on the adobe model of acquisition and integrating and seeing actual results from these acquisitions yeah well you know what i i still think mulesoft might if i'm picking it's i, I i'm not going to quite give it this mantle yet but if i'm picking the number one acquisition any company's made in the last five years, I might even say decade, MuleSoft might, well, let's say this, MuleSoft is a definite contender for that. Um, and I, I think it's that important, and which is why I'm not at all surprised that there, I'm not surprised at any of the successes. You're, I think you're right. Yeah, I made, well, it was so long ago. I, I made, I think maybe the, the most important acquisition for Salesforce, at least. And I didn't think of it as that at the time. It might have been exact target. Yeah. Uh, you know, it might have been. I, I was kind of, 
I'm kind of yes and no on that. I think it was important. Don't get me wrong, but I think it was more important for Pardot than it was for Exact Target. Uh, you know, well, uh, I, <laughs> well yeah. they had that's what they got Pardot in the deal. That's that what is, I mean. That, I think yeah. that was important. Yeah. Exact Target. Look, I like. I liked it, I, but it was, you know, it was, uh, it was the best email marketing, scalable email marketing thing out there, but it didn't have the full range. I, I, that's why I think it took a guy, someone like Bob, who's, you know, the builder's builder to really like take it and make what it had to make of it and then build it out accordingly. And part out was the best piece of that without any question. And, oh, absolutely. and, you know, honestly, if I'm looking at Scott McCorkle's history, I like his current company which I think has mind-blowing potential, right? Even more than they ever liked Exact Target. So I, I think it was important, but I'm I'm still giving it to MuleSoft if I'm comparing the two. Radiant Six I, is one of the it's one of them, but I'm still going to give it to, as much. I'm going to guess. Love them. I'm going to guess that's yeah. Bob Fagel. Oh, I'm positive that's Bob. <laughs> right, but and I again, Radiant Six, love them. Uh, more that was like the lovely. first big one, the first one, the first, first acquisition yeah. that put Salesforce on the acquisition map. Yeah, well, they had they had actually acquired Buddy Media before that. Was, Buddy that was Media, was, but that was one where and, um wasn't worth much. But so they that paid more ridiculously amount of money. Six hundred thirty, six hundred. No, I think six hundred thirty-eight million. Um, yeah. Well, the good to the credit of that, that's Salesforce's kind of advertising piece is buddy media really and what came of it right so it had long term it had a lot more benefit than it did at the time of acquisition you gotta be kidding me i'm getting a phone call from walmart at the moment <laughs> the hell tell man. Them you, you order from they want you to do a show called watching call walmart. me to call me tomorrow yeah we'll talk yeah, about what they'll do watching all right one last thing because we we got our guest oops did i oh i wanted to just bring up so this is this is the money quote from me uh from benioff so many of our customers are attracted to us because in many cases they're going through an amazing values transformation, not digital transformation. You notice to me, that's a big difference. Yeah. Values transformation. I think it, that values transformation is being driven by the digital transformation. Um, but it's, I, I love that phrasing. And, and then he says in the areas that we pioneer, I'm, I'm, that's his words, especially in right. regards to sustainability because as you know, Salesforce has been a net zero company, but now we're fully renewable. So he's gone beyond the, uh, you know, the software talk and technology value transformation. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really interesting. And he can say that because when you come, when you have the kind of quarter that they have, you can pretty much say anything. Uh, but I'm glad to see that he starts talking in much broader terms and, and valuing uh, success beyond the kind of just the digital technological yeah. side but now talking about transformation from a standpoint of value I, I thought that was really interesting when i when i looked at the transcript and you know what to me it's always it's the power of salesforce period it's always been that you know that they have they're the the best company i've ever seen in my life at externalizing their cultural and that also that their values their values and their core you know core values are actually are meaningful they're not just marketing fluff right so the combination of that and being able to externalize that is i think the actual power of salesforce i mean you know from product to product sometimes they're better than some companies equivalents sometimes they're worse you know it's it's not like they stand out that far above everybody else they don't but when it comes yeah. to that cult the cultural externalization and the power of that of their commitment to the, their own values. You know, of course they have glitches here and there like anyone else, but the power is just extraordinary in what they do there. Nobody be, yeah. nobody's been close. Yeah. So I, I just, you know, lots of, lots of stuff. And I think the one thing that you got to kind of keep an eye out on is the marketing, uh, what do you call it? The marketing and commerce stuff. To me, that 28% sounds good, but, I don't think it's it's as good as the other stuff's. Uh, yeah, right. You know, Twenty eight percent of ten is what two point eight, right? Yeah. So, I think Adobe is giving a run for their money, and I, oh, look, areas. yeah, no, this, this Salesforce in those areas is not market leading. Right. Right. Not market leading. Uh, look, Oracle's right. giving them a run too. Yeah, yeah, that, and, that, and you, you can almost say in terms of 
the the total addressable market increasing marketing and commerce are are the two areas that I think are growing the fastest under the CR traditional CR. Well, that's not even traditional under the CRM, right. the current CRM umbrella. So, I mean, they're already number one in, in sales cloud and service cloud from a, a revenue standpoint. But that marketing and commerce is, I think, the most the the was the area with the most growth potential. Yeah, and I think Adobe and Oracle, like you two, said, Adobe, man. Oracle, and a million players who are going to nip at their heels, man. They're going to yeah. eat pieces of eat pieces away. All right. All right, we just wanted we thought that was important to go through because you know it's Salesforce and it's earnings. But now we got our guest, and you probably already saw. I mean, I kind of gave the gave the game away with when I popped you know certain thing up, but it's somebody you guys already know. He's been with us. What is this like his second or third time? I think it's third time. That's why I think so. And we've you know we've known him for a long time. There's actually a picture that just came up. Uh, I think it was from um, eight years ago at CRM Evolution of a bunch of us together. And I think he might have taken that picture. Mm -hmm. He is. There's the man Dr. himself. The man. The, the man, the Everyone? myth, the legend. So and he's Michael, got the hat. Well, he, he can't not have the hat. <laughs> uh, actually, I, that's actually at this point. He's actually made some biological advances, and that's actually his hair now. Yeah, <laughs> I think the new technology of like 3D printing has like really printed like this, uh, using hair to print, you know, this hat in the shape of my hat. So it actually <laughs> sits on top perfectly. I never have to so, take them off or wash them or whatever. So <laughs> I, I would tell you. <laughs> <laughs> right, he has tweed hair. <laughs> so tweed. I uh, I was talking to somebody yesterday and telling him you were coming on the show, and uh, Michael, and he goes, oh, he's a genius. Just like that, literally. Yeah, like, I, that was me. Didn't I, didn't I say that? He's a genius. <laughs> so you have a lot of excited people listening in on you, so you better be good today, man. Well, that's a big <laughs> shoe to fill. <laughs> I hope I feel it. <laughs> I'm sure you'll manage. So, uh, Michael, okay, so look, you are AI leading AI strategy at Pros. You're a scientist, data scientist, and a, and a scientist. I mean, not just a data scientist, meaning you're a technology, a scientist of multiple disciplines in technology, I'll call it. Um, you're an AI scientist. You're, uh, you know, it's interesting, actually, the, the position you hold because you're a combination of a strategist and a practitioner, right? Which is a, a yeah. and a leader and a leader of a substantial group. And that that's a unusual combination. So actually, before we get into the state of AI and all those things, which we will talk about the position a little bit, because it's not that many people who, in fact, I think you're the only person I know who holds some a position like that with all those factors really? built in so <laughs> kind of talk about the your responsibilities what how you how it kind of forces you to think about them and you know unlike say a more limited scope and and what's it look like day to day from that standpoint yeah sure i mean certainly i think there there is a technical component of working with the data scientists you know and to guide them elite them to essentially build uh you know these machine learning AI algorithms, you know, so, so that's, that's part of it. That's more the science and research side of my work. And, you know, and then there's a, I would say, so there's a research component, there's a products component where we try to essentially infuse a product with more capability to automate, you know, um, I would say we've done uh, this, we done, I would say, uh, repeated uh, tasks, you know, so, so people uh, get, gain more efficiency out of it. And, um, so product-wise, just infuse more AI into the, into the product, um, and then there's a I would certainly I would say that certainly a external uh, thought leadership component. Right? So working with uh, university, speaking externally um, at uh, conferences, you know. So uh, so that's more of a, a thought leadership type of uh, role. And then uh, finally, I think there's also a kind of internal. Um, I would say lends to this, you know, I think pros uh, as a company, like we 
also need to leverage uh, more AI technology ourselves to make our operations uh, more efficient and you know and more effective. So yeah, so I think there's I would say like these four <laughs> components, right? I mean the research, the product, right, the thought leadership, and then this kind of internal transformation of uh, leveraging um, uh, our uh, technology as well as other AI technology as well. So, so what does that mean for like uh, what? If somebody was came to you and said, "How do you how do you think about?" And actually, this is a question I sort of have too, which is, "How, how do you think about an AI strategy?" Because you know, on the one hand, it clearly can't be isolated from what AI is being used for, right? I mean, you know, on the other, it doesn't it doesn't stand on its own per se, which means there's other factors that have to play into it that are not, let's say specifically AI That's right. driven. So yeah, how I do think, you think about it? Yeah, I think that this is actually a, a major, I would say, problem in the industry. I mean, there there is no doubt that AI is going to be a very pervasive part of our life moving forward, whether it's in business, at work, or just in our daily life. You know, it's, it's going to be there. It's going to be part of it. Right? Uh, I think what's, you know, uh, preventing, I would say, a lot of business from uh, jumping on board is, I would say, you know, if you look, look at it, you know, there's the consumer um, AI applications, right? And there's also business applications of AI, right? For consumers, uh, you automate tasks, your daily tasks, you know, like, for example, uh, you know, you could automate your home routines using, you know, smart homes and all that stuff, right? I mean, if it makes a mistake, right? I mean, it's, it's some... I would say minor inconvenience, right? You may have to, I mean, if you ask Siri, you know, something, it didn't understand you, you just rephrase it, right? I mean, it's a little bit of inconvenience. You lose a few minutes of time and it's, it's, it's no big deal, right? So the, the risk and the cost of a wrong decision in, in the AI is, is, is small, right? But that's totally not the case in, in business, right? I mean, in business, when you make a wrong decision in this AI, it could be, millions of dollar loss, right? And um, I would say a PR crisis, you know, it could be, it could be loss of like lots and lots of customer who will never come back to you, right? And, and that risk is uh, the cost of, of, a, of a wrong kind of decision is much higher in the business setting, right? So, so that's therefore business has this reluctance to, uh, to jump on the AI. And a lot of this reason is because, well, I mean, uh, it's actually not the technical component of AI. It's a lot of it has to do with the, the non-technical component. For example, the design, the adoption, right? What if, you know, if you, if you, if you buy AI technology, if, if people don't use it because they don't trust it, because they're afraid of it, you know, uh, you know, nobody's getting any benefit, right? I mean, if you uh, have an AI, but you can't explain it, so people don't trust it, you know, then you have another issue too, right? I mean, so, so, so there's a lot of, I would say, these non-technical issues, you know, or, or, you know, for example, around like user experience, adoption, you know, legal and um, design. So these are, I would say, uh, issues surrounding this AI technology that need to be addressed, right, in order to move this whole uh, industry forward uh, in AI. I just literally got done talking with uh, a VP of operations for Rakuten Super Logistics. And we were talking about, you know, e-commerce and, you know, how can folks uh, you know do better with understanding you know logistics and order fulfillment and things like that and they, all this kind of quote unquote what i would call kind of boring stuff but it's incredibly important um and from a cx perspective a lot of that has a huge impact on the cx you know the customer experience but it's not like the sexy things that you typically think about when you think about cx and maybe how ai could be applied but maybe can you maybe talk about maybe how people should be looking at AI in terms of improving things like logistics, uh, fulfillment, order stuff, because that does have, I think, a, a outsized and even increasingly growing impact on customer experience, even if it doesn't feel like it's the, the most direct thing for a customer experience. Well, I think it, it does have a direct relationship to customer experience, right? Because, I mean, let me ask, you know, a simple question. Like, what do you think customer experience is? I mean, this because I mean, to me, customer experiences can be viewed, can be understand in a very, very simple term, right? 
is the difference between what the company deliver and then what the customer expect. Right? If the customer deliver more than what the customer expect, then that's a good experience. Right? It's a delighting experiment. Right? If the company actually delight, uh, sorry, uh, deliver uh, less than what the customer expect, right? Then you have a disappointing customer. Right? So it's it's really simple if you look at it that way. Right? So I mean, I think the customer uh, expectation is the piece that uh, that that we need to focus on because that is a piece that actually changes very dramatically. Right? right. It could changes like. From I mean, because everything now, you know, in the post-pandemic era, right? Everything is moving on the digital, right? And uh, you know, things become more transparent. People could actually, uh, you know, so uh, see other 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 every every other vendors on, online, right? So so it's actually you know uh, it's very easy for for customers to change their experience. So if you, for example, if you see an offer to you, right? You may you may have a you know, very customer experience, but the very minute that I, I go and see another vendor offering the same thing for say, you know, uh, you know, 10% less, right? Immediately your, your customer experience kind of change, right? So, you, you know, this transparency makes, makes customer experience really challenging because the customer expectation can fluctuate, you know, and, and uh, so much and get influenced by the environment. You know, you, even when you wake up in a bad day, when it's raining or something like that, you could have a worse customer experience, right? So, so to keep up with these kind of, I would say, you know, ever changing, constantly changing customer expectation, right? You need uh, something like, uh, I would say, AI to help you online, right? I think in the traditional world, when you actually are dealing with a human, right? Humans are very good at, you know, gauging customer's expectation. If, if I'm talking to you, seeing you face to face, your body language tell me something about what, you, you know, whether you are happy or not happy about what I'm offering or anything, right? So, so, but when you're talking to, you know, uh, a, a machine, right? When you're online, right? When the customers are not, you know, engaged with an actual person, right? Then it becomes really uh, challenging to, to kind of gauge what the customer expectation is, right? So how do you do that? I mean, to, to do that, you need like uh, a live stream of like a real time, I would say, this uh, environmental contextual data you know, that the customer's in, right? what channel is coming in, which region is in, you know, like, you know, all these other contextual data about this customer, uh, then you will help the AI to understand uh, the customer on the other end, right? So then they can actually respond to, uh, to, 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 to this customer in a way that meets his expectation, right? So, so that, well, that raises an interesting thousand questions. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. So, but it's, but, so here's one though. Uh, so to your point of dramatically changing customer expectation. All right. So here's a stream of data that I am venting out of absolutely thin air. Um, and it's, it's something like this. Uh, um, text, 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 email, email, text, email, YouTube, text, email, YouTube, uh, um, you know, and then all of a sudden you see TikTok, and then text, text, email, two, two, blah, 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 blah. TikTok, 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 text, 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 TikTok, 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 TikTok. <laughs> you get the point, right? The 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 means that the customer is the 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 things that the customer are using to uh, to engage with you. Essentially, they're well, they're accepting distribution is what they're doing with it, right? Uh, it's changing, and it's all of a sudden something different uh inserting itself not much be not much beyond its its existence meaning you don't have a ton of data on it yet how's ai built or how do you build ai or how does it how, do, how what's the thinking behind the building of the ai that says we'll handle it we'll handle it right as opposed again there's mm -hmm. going to be limitations obviously no matter what but um but What's the actual thinking behind how to handle something where it's not only dramatic, but literally all those channels you're talking about are, are have altered in a significant way, but we don't truly have enough data on the channels themselves to understand what that means. Yeah. So work? I think the, 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 the key thing to recognize in this age is that even though we have big data, there's never enough data. Right. We have, I mean, I think there, there, there is uh, big data, you know, in totality, but every time when we're dealing with a single customer or a single contacts, right, 
the data that's available to help you make that decision dramatically reduced, right? There are lots and lots of data out there. A lot of it is actually uh, used for in some context, but in this particular context at this moment, and I'm dealing with this customer at this time, right? Um, the relevant data that will help you, you know, decide what to do is actually fairly small, right? So the key thing is to identify those data, right? So, so the second thing is that like, you know, when you're saying that there are these new channels where this information are coming in, right? So AI, one of the beauty of it is the ability to learn, right? So AI has a component inside that's called machine learning, right? That enable them to actually learn from data, right? So that allow you to adapt, right? When you have learning, you can adapt, right? So this is actually same thing as how a human work, right? When you see this new stream, say TikTok coming in, the example you give, right? Uh, at first you say, yeah, let's ignore it, right? But after a while you see TikTok, 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 right? and they say like, oh, okay, maybe I should pay attention to that, right? You learn, you see that there's more coming in more frequently, more, uh, so it becomes more and more relevant, right? Then you should actually change your, your model of how this world operate that, okay, and put more weight on this particular channel than your traditional other channel that you had been paying attention to, right? So uh, this is exactly the same way uh, that AI would operate, right? First, you you would say that you put very little weight on, on this new channel, right? But as it comes up more and more frequently, you will basically revise your algorithm to start to put more and more weight on this channel, right? Because if, I mean, if it turned out to be relevant, right? Um, maybe that, you know, it's a lot of very loud, but very noisy, but it's actually not relevant, then you would keep the, you know, the, the, the weighting or the impact that that channel has uh, still at a, at a fairly low level, right? So yeah, so I think it's 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 a it's a learning process, right? And the learning is actually enabled uh, in this AI system through machine learning. Yeah, that's funny. I think I now realize my mind is uh, my mind is just a piece of embedded AI, because uh, well, the reason being is <laughs> I I I've, my entire research methodology extends to one thing, which is I look for anomalies, and then when they show up, I look under them. To see if it's just bubbles or i see if it's cement and if it's cement i'll go with it if it's bubbles i know it's just going to dissipate which is yep. pretty much what you just described exactly. right so that means unfortunately i'm um a machine I'm so actually the machine is actually programmed to mimic human so 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 we actually huh. operate that way right i mean we humans uh i mean uh operate in, in that sense i mean mm -hmm. it's the same thing right if the first time you see uh, i don't know uh Say you've never seen a, a tiger or something or, or any, any uh, some animal, right? <laughs> you don't know if it's dangerous or not, right? I mean, you, you, you try to engage it. And if you see more and more of it, then you start to kind of see, okay, this is dangerous or this is not dangerous, this is a tame, right? So I think right. evolutionarily, our brain operates that way, right? I mean, and now we're just applying that same architecture of our brain in the business world, in, in analyzing, uh, you know, events and, and, and business uh, uh, trends and everything. So uh, AI is actually uh, built to mimic the architecture, that kind of, uh, I would say, hierarchical kind of processing of, of information, right? So, so it is uh, the AI that's mimicking you, Paul. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh -oh. Hey, I wanted to get to this question from our buddy Anand. Uh, how much closer are we to interpreting real digital body language or posture of a customer? So actually, uh, gate analysis had been used, uh, uh, I would say, for a long time, but not in the business world, okay? So I actually uh, uh, will tell you the, the little story of my, I, I work in the uh, Los Alamos National Lab uh, previously, okay? Uh, that's actually in the time after 9-11, and basically we are actually trying to identify terrorists <laughs> uh, from a known database of kind of a headshot, you know, of, of terrorists. So, so back then, you know, I think the, the technology is not, we don't have deep learning, we don't have, so uh, when a terrorist kind of wear a hat or, or wear sunglasses or kind of occlude themselves, right, or they don't look at the camera or the lighting is funny, right, then it's very challenging for people to identify those terrorists. Uh, but it turns out that gait, you know, human, the, gait, the way you walk, the way that, you know, for example, the your stride length, you know, how big, those are kind of fairly constant uh, in a human, really? right? You can't, yeah, you can't fake those because it's determined by your body structure, right? You can't, you cannot right. actually, I mean, your bone, your muscles are, are, are grown in a certain way. So you'll walk the way you, your gait is actually, uh, I would say fixed by, by, by those, your, your body structure, right? 
So it turns out it's actually, the, you, if you can analyze the gait of a person, you can actually very uniquely identify the person. Um, wow. So, so that was one, one uh, little side story. Uh, so, so that has been used, I would say, in the, I would say, intelligence, you know, uh, I would say government for a long time, you know, back in all the way back since before uh, this AI become popular right now. Um, you know, back in before you know, uh, 9-11, right? So um, mm. around that time, right? So um, so I don't know, like, you know, why this hasn't been actually picked up, you know, in the uh, commercial space. I think I would guess that a lot of it has to involve, I would say, privacy, right? Because obviously, you know, you, you're tracking the person's gate, you know, you can actually identify who's walking across the street, right? Even without looking at his face, right? Even if his face is completely covered, if you the way you walk, right? I mean, you, you know who, who, who this person is, right? I mean, so it's, it's pretty scary, right? I mean, so there's a lot of, uh, I would say, you know, these uh, non-technical issue that's limiting the adoption of, of AI, right? I mean, um, yeah, privacy included, right? So. Makes sense. We'll talk a little bit about, you know, you mentioned this, you know, in the age of big data, there's never enough data. Um, does that rule kind of where things are going and what impact does having, you know, never having enough data, always in search of data, always trying to, you know, find data and, and bring it all together. How is that impacting the ethical use of AI? Are we seeing any like convergence or divergence, more data, less ethics, or is it more data, more ethics? Do they have a relationship at all? Because it seems to me like the more data we find, the more temptation it is to use this stuff in any way that uh, was uh, old Malcolm X, any by any means necessary. But is there is the ethics be behind AI getting any better as we get more data thrown at this? I, I think there's certainly more awareness of it. I think that you know right now there's uh, I would say you know, fairness, transparency, and I would say a lot of people talk about this black box issue, right? This AI, we don't know how it's making decisions and everything, right? So uh, it is a challenge, uh, and but this is actually bringing up more and more people to to kind of uh, pay attention to this area of, of ethics and fairness and, and um, yeah, and accountability, right? So 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 all these uh, extra, I would say, big data that, that we're using, right? It's, it is very tempting, right? But I think there is need to be uh, they need to be kind of a, a opposing uh, force, right? To equally challenge this uh, data scientists, right? To I think there there need to be these I would say healthy tension, right, between the two groups. Right? It's not that the AI scientists should dictate everything. You know, advancement should not drive everything. It's not everything about advancement, right? But it's not everything about regulation either, right? I mean, I think the two group need to have this kind of a healthy tension that you know. Uh, we raise issue that we do worry about, right? And then the scientists, if, if you don't raise that issue, scientists will not solve it, right? <laughs> it works. Why, why, why do I address this issue, right? So if you raise that issue, then people will be, more and more scientists will be aware of it and say, okay, that's a challenging problem that I need to address, right? To make this better, right? Uh, better for humanity, better for everyone. Uh, so so that's, uh, that's why that healthy tension need to be there, right? And I think that right now, to answer your question, yes, they are uh, bringing it up more and more of these. I think right now that the, the uh, there's more uh, question than solutions, uh, but the pendulum was, will, will, will kind of swing around, right? I think this, you know, because previously it was kind of all AI investment, right? But, you know, so it's, it's all pendulums on the one side, right? And now that, you know, people are aware of, you know, the power of AI, you know, all these uh, ethics, you know, I'm myself uh, almost like a half of an ethicist, right? <laughs> to kind of say, hey, you know, you can't just look at, use AI, whatever you want, right? you need to look at the, the ethical use of your data, right? So that you don't marginalize any group or, or anything. Uh, so so that uh, there's actually a lot of voices on, on that side now, right? And so that raises a lot of, lot of concern, right? Uh, but we don't have solution yet, but I think now more and more people are actually paying attention to address those problems, right? And so people to address, for example, the black box problem, Right, you know, people. This is actually a huge community called Explainable AI. It's called XAI, just X and then uh, mm. AI. Um, so uh, I'm participating in that uh, quite actively. You know, so it's actually the attempt to explain this black box. You know, in an ad hoc manner, in in a, uh, after the model is being trained. Right. 
So it's, it's not that, you know, black box cannot be explained. It's just very complex. So that even if we explain it to you, you probably cannot make sense of it to how it actually works, right? I mean, so it's like there, we have like, you know, 10 to the 13 neurons in our brain. If I explain to you what every neuron is doing, right? You can't understand that many neurons are acting, you know, uh, you know, you can't make sense of it. It can be explained, but I could show you exactly what your neuron is doing and how it actually comes to your, your final decision. But you're not going to make understand that you're not going to be happy with the answer, even if I explain that to you. Right. So there are these, I would say, but it, the thing is that like, it is explainable. It's just that we need to find a way that, you know, a human can actually digest and understand it. Right. And that's what the, the goal of this, uh, these community, XAI community is trying to accomplish. And there's actually lots of techniques now um, to explain this black box retrospectively, right? So, which is actually mm -hmm. uh, uh, very powerful. And there's actually other approach such as glass box approach. Instead of a black box, right, you use a glass box. So you, the model at each stage actually are very interpretable, right? So that, uh, so, so there's, there's many, many approach. I mean, I don't want to go into the technical detail, but there are actually uh, many different approaches to address uh, these issues. So, so the, the pendulum, even though it's actually a lot of focus um, and concerns on the ethical side, uh, but that, that's good, you know, because now the scientists will actually know what to work on, right? And then, mm -hmm. and then you'll swing the pendulum over, over here again, and then this will, this will go back and forth. And this is how we progress, right? I mean, usually it's not a straight line. Usually, some kind of zigzag, you know, uh, going to uh, going forward. Yeah. So, I have a couple of questions. Actually, the first one is kind of goes to what you're talking about, and the second one kind of doesn't really. But um, the 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 first one is um, so. I guy's name I constantly block it. The former CEO of MetaMind, who was acquired by Salesforce, and he was a Scott McCorkle. No, no. Chief signed a MetaMind. Oh, MetaMind. Oh, Robert, Schor Richard Socher. Socher. Richard Socher. Yeah. When he was okay. chief scientist mm -hmm. at Salesforce, he once made a comment. Because, you know, look, one of the fears that I, it's diminished over the last couple of years, but it's still out there, is that whole Skynet thing when it comes to AI. You know, and it's obviously, from my standpoint, ridiculous. But at the same time, um, you, you know, AI, especially at the height, of the hype, you know, basically was going to take over humanity anyway. So, but he made a comment, which he said very simply that I just loved. It was look, AI doesn't want anything. That's the way he put it. AI doesn't want anything. What he meant was ultimately humans, you're going to have to say, AI, go over there and do that. And then they'll learn from over there. And when they get there, but they're not going to say, I think I'll go over there and do that. At the biggest part of this, a human's telling him what to do or where to go, how to start, where to begin. I mean, what is the task at hand, human, uh, AI? And and then they'll say, okay, well, well, we'll do that now. And we do this, we do this. Oh, we didn't do that right. We'll do this this way. This way. Oh, we got to do this now. We got to enhance that. We got to focus on that. We got to. But ultimately, they didn't say, I think I'll head over there, right? That's what he meant, right? AI doesn't want anything. So do you agree with that, disagree with that? I I just found it. A fascinating way to put it. Well, I, I would say that that's a simplistic way to look at it because I, I think that most AI operates on, I would say, you know, optimizing some kind of what we call objective function, right? Some kind of how you encode that objective function, right? Uh, it's it's a matter of how much detail you want, you know, the AI have, right? Um, so uh, if you say AI doesn't want anything i mean i would say that's not quite true right technically because that they want to optimize the objective function right so if the, if the objective function is to you know i don't know uh say maximize profit right then you will actually do whatever it, the data that you have so i right? use the data that it has to uh recommend uh decisions and, and and automations to optimize your profit right and some of those may involve just going over there right you may not know why going there will help but you're saying that hey go over there and, you know, somehow that would actually help you optimize the, the objective. Function, I, right? I think to so, your point, I don't think he meant. He meant basically AI isn't going to sit there and go, oh, I think I'll optimize, I'll maximize profit. He's going to mm -hmm. be, you're going to build AI to say, OK, your job is to maximize profit. Go figure it out. Right. And that what he's saying is AI is not figuring out that it's supposed to maximize profit. AI yeah. is being told it's supposed to maximize mm -hmm. profit. I think that's what he actually meant. Um, yeah. Now, so if, in, that, that, in that respect, 
right? Yeah. I would say that, yeah, sure. I mean, then I would say that AI is no different than any other tool, right? Right. It depends on the human that's that's operating it, right? That's behind yes. it, that's operating, it, right? You could use the AI for for good, for bad, right? It's 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 right. uh it's it's just a tool, right? It's AI amoral. is neither inherently good or evil, right? It's actually the the human intent, right? That that's uh, driving it to uh, how you specify what do you what do you put in that objective function, right? So I mean, a lot of things I would say. I mean, uh, going back to the issue of, uh, I would say, uh, for example, some of the ethical issues, right? Why is it so difficult uh, for AI to learn ethics and morality and these uh, things? Because it's very hard to encode that in the objective function, right? How do you encode moral objective in the, in the, fun in the objective function? It's actually easier to make a compliant AI, right? If someone can actually encode all the laws and all the legal construct that we created, right? into this AI, right? And basically, whenever the AI produces a solution that's outside of the construct, the, the boundary of these legal construct, right? The cost function becomes infinite, right? Mm -hmm. Then basically the AI wouldn't go out of it, right? Because you wouldn't optimizing this, you wouldn't minimize it, this uh, objective function, right? Mm -hmm. so, uh, so, so you are basically try to stay everything uh, within this, the legal confine, right? But you require someone to, to kind of specify all those laws in there. It's, right. it's a lot of work, but then, you know, Legal is actually, you know, is, 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 I would say, easier because it's black and white, right? If once you go out of this, it's infinite. Once you stay within the boundary, it's legal, right? Ethics and morality are much harder, right? It's not so black and white. So when you, how do you specify that in the objective function? That becomes very difficult, right? Well, ethics themselves, are, whoever's programming the AI, you got to go by their set of ethics. And not everybody's set of ethics are the same. So I know that's going to be difficult. And the other thing I think too is this, you know, the set or the population of folks really uh, creating the data science between and using, you know, these tools and AI. Well, we're creating. It's a, it's kind of close to being a homogenous group of people. It's not very varied. It's not very diverse. It's almost like you have. Not only do you need ethical AI, you need inclusive AI in order for it to be a little bit more representative. And mm -hmm. I think that's the thing that may be missing the most is. Yeah, I think that's changing of people now. that are doing it. I, I'm glad that I'm, I'm so glad that you, hear you yeah. say it. it's changing because, you know, we, we there was that great Netflix on, uh, you know, when we talked about the facial recognition and the AI couldn't detect a black woman from like, a, you know, something else. And part of that reasoning was because the folks who were creating the AI didn't look like the black woman it was trying to detect. And, and so that's been one of those things that's been a missing ingredient to this. Yes. Um, not to say that that's purely the reason why ethical AI is so hard to do, but when you don't have certain folks or certain pieces represented in the creation of the technology, you're automatically going to be losing uh, something that may be very important to it yes. being as successful as it should be. Totally. I think that's that's actually one of the, uh, I would say the big conundrum, right, uh, in AI is that the data that you use to train the machine, right, comes from, you don't, you, you actually don't have the entire world's data, right? You use a sample of data, right? So that mm -hmm. sample of data is selected in, I would say, you know, even though you think it's random, sometimes there may be some biases in there. Right. And the inherent biases in those data that you select to use to train the AI, right, will bias how your AI behave. Right. And when you actually try to, okay, if you actually use this AI in the context of where that data was sampled from, only those data, only the, the population where you sample the data from, there's no problem. The problem is that we often, very, very often, right, use this AI, overgeneralize it to a much bigger population, right? And that's when you have problem with not including these other uh, perspective, right? So ethical, hey, it may be ethical to you, but not ethical to me, right? I mean, uh, so we need to look at these uh, different uh, perspective as, as well, right? So that's where the inclusiveness is actually very important. So I think right now, uh, more and more company are actually including uh, many more of these, I would say, social science discipline, you know, uh, psychology, behavioral economists, right, uh, social scientists, right, uh, into the, these kind of uh, discussion of the design of, of, of these AI systems, 
right? So then, which is good. I think this is actually a, a very good and very healthy kind of inclusion. Like I said, AI is it's um, the technical aspect of it is one component, but there's actually a lot of uh, a huge, I would say, uh, area of that involved in non-technical component AI that's actually equally important right, to drive uh, acceptance and adoption in the society. Whew. This has been a great conversation. And the only thing that may rival the conversation that we had, check out the comments, man. It's been a, a fascinating conversation slash debate, you know, going on. And it's so much so that I couldn't really pop it all up. But, uh, Michael, it's always a pleasure to have you join us. And as you can see, you spark a lot of thought, a lot of uh, discussion. And I think that's good because this this whole area it needs to have more people involved uh, in the creation and in the usage and in the development, just generally speaking. So, uh, sure. I mean, it needs you around, needs you around. Yeah. All right. I'm happy to be here at any time. You know? <laughs> I don't get to answer a lot of this question. You know, feel free to ping me on LinkedIn. I'm try to try. No, we'll, we'll, we'll just, it. we'll bring you on routinely. That's all. Absolutely. Simple enough. Okay. <laughs> I love to, yeah, I love we, to be on here. <laughs> You, yeah. We can make those decisions, Michael. That's right. <laughs> well, actually, I've got it. I actually I downloaded this app that has this really good AI. <laughs> right? Excellent. So we can work. So on help that. you we'll select speakers. Or I have, right. <laughs> uh, but I have to scan your two faces. <laughs> uh, look at this. Look at look at these. Uh, look at these uh, kudos. And, you know, that's a fellow PhD. So there you go. You're, you're getting it from your, your people. Yeah. I, you know, I almost want to say to the folks in the comment, you guys had a great show too, because I <laughs> yeah. couldn't even pop all that stuff up. I mean, it was deep. They, you know, they were rolling. They were of course, really rolling. By the way, Esteban was, of course, right in the dead center of it. Of, of course. Where, you know, the tagline you know, bringing CRM to its knees since, you know, whatever, that's, that's 2008. The, that's right. The, the four horsemen. The horsemen four horsemen. Tagline, bringing CRM to its knees since 2001. Bringing CRM to its knees. Awesome. Hey, uh, Michael, thanks again for joining us. And I hope it's you, a pleasure. you stay yeah, safe. Awesome. And uh, we look forward to talking with you sooner rather than later. We'll Glad to be to here. Soon, my yeah. friend. So Thank totally you. And awesome. I got it. I got one more thing I got to do before we can close. All right. Where is it? Oh, there it is. No, you now, didn't. You didn't. No. Oh, two more things. Back out. All right. Back out Let of that get... picture, man. All right. <laughs> On behalf of Dr. Michael Wu, I'm Brent Leary. I'm Paul Greenberg. We are the CRM players. And now we can go to this. That's right. <laughs> See you next week. That The A 